tis the season for Christmas movies. That's what mostly it is. Now, some of you need to be honest with me. I'm gonna ask for your vote here, okay? How many of you are really, really into Hallmark Christmas movies? Come on, be honest. Raise it high. Come on. I knew it. All over. All right. Okay. All right. Now that you've been outed, okay? Now, uh, love, I, I love Christmas season. I'm so thankful for what it represents and what it means, but the coolest part is all the movies that uh, take place, and almost all of them in some way, form, or fashion have to do with this issue of believing. Believing. I don't think it's, actually, I don't think it's an accident that uh, this season, more than any other, is wrapped around the issue of belief. So even with Santa Claus. Uh, The idea is that there's an unseen person that we believe has gifts and joy to bring to us. Now, uh, we can talk, and let me tell you, because some of you grew up in a house where you were like, Santa, Satan? I'm not, you know, like you did that, like the, you move the A. I know some of you grew up in that household, right? I, I, I get that, and I understand that, but I'm telling you, I don't think it's an accident that even that we have this figure or picture. And while obviously if you extrapolate this out, God is not a large person with a white beard ready to make all of our wildest gifts or wildest dreams come true with gifts. That's not who God is. But the idea of the unseen bringing something, if we believe bringing joy to us, that's not an, that is not an accident. This season is, I think, very intentional for us, and I think God has lots of things that he wants to say to us, and in fact, the, if you will, the Christmas story that we see in Scripture is, in fact, complete, almost completely and utterly wrapped around the issue of belief, uh, because the people at this time in the Scripture are finding themselves having been promised amazing things from God. In fact, there was a significant promise out there that God was going to rescue his people. He was going to send a king, a savior, who was going to establish an eternal kingdom and, and, and that he was going to uh, give life and joy to his people. That was, he was going to redeem and take care of all the brokenness of the past. He was going to come and fix them. They had this promise. And the only problem is, is that they had not heard hide nor hair from God in 400 years. 400 years. Been 400 years since any prophet had ever come. I don't know if you know this, but from the time of Malachi, at the, the last book in the Bible, to the time of Matthew, the beginning of the story of God coming among us is a 400-year window. Now, can I just say something? If we found ourselves with a hope and a promise, and we had to wait 400 years for it, can I... And I, I'm going to guess, I'm going to venture to say, we might be just a little bit disappointed, might be a little bit disillusioned. All right? Our nation has been alive for exactly 242 years, okay, 242. I'm not good at math, but that's like half of 400, okay? I'm telling you, if we had to wait that long for a promise, if we had to wait that long for to see God move on our behalf, I can guarantee you we'd be upset. And I know that because some of us have been asking God or believing God for something for like two weeks and you're ready to give up. You know what I'm saying? 
We've been in that place. You ever been in that place? Right? This issue of belief or trust, asking or believing on promises, it's something that we all have because every one of us have probably been in a place where you maybe had a hope for God to do something in your life or around you. You had a belief or maybe even sensed a promise. You read something from Scripture. You said, God, it says you're going to do this, but you aren't seeing it happen. We hadn't seen the fulfillment of it yet. It hasn't taken place yet, and we feel the weight of it. And a lot, a lot, if you think about this, a lot of our lives hinge on the disappointment that come from unmet expectations, hopes, dreams, promises, where we put our heart out there and the thing didn't happen. It, can, it goes well beyond things with God. We often put our hopes and dreams and lots of things, hoping that this relationship will somehow fulfill us or hoping that our kids will somehow turn back toward us or hoping that uh, God might deliver something to us or we hope that the, this new income or this new position or the, the promotion is what's going to finally set our heart at ease. We put our hope and expectation in lots of things all the time. And when things don't pan out, our hearts wrestle. We struggle. That's what we see over and over and over. This is exactly where the Jewish people were in the first century. They had kept hearing. In fact, if you want me to sum up the entire narrative of the Old Testament for you, it's this. God has made promises to his people. The people can't, they, they, they struggle to trust him. They turn their back on him. They're completely and utterly broken, and he whispers to them, but I'm, but I'm coming. I have a problem. I'm going to come through for you, but you've got to trust me. And that's where they're at in this moment. They were struggling through this thing, and we find ourselves coming up to where God decides to finally begin to show his faithfulness in the promise. And we're actually going to look at the story before the story this morning. If you will, grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. I want everybody to have, because we're not going to put it up on the screen, Luke chapter 1. Now, you are likely, you don't even have to grow up in church, and you are likely familiar with the, idea, the story that starts with uh, Mary um, being, uh, becoming pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So become a virgin becoming pregnant by the Spirit of God. Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem because the census was being taken of the people. They go to their hometown. They can't find a place. Uh, they can't find any place to stay. They're relegated to a cave or a barn uh, where they end up. Uh, Mary births the Son of God, right? Jesus, Savior of the world. We're familiar with that story, but there's a story before that because there was a figure who's going to come to proclaim the promise. And his name was John the Baptist. He has an amazing story of how he came. And his father's name was Zechariah. And I want you to look at with me. Zechariah was one of the high priests. He was going to minister to the Lord in the temple. And I want you to read this story because something supernatural takes place. Luke chapter 1, we'll start with verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of all the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Which I love, I love when you just read these like sentences 
Because I kind of feel like if you're in there and you've been doing this job, like you've done this thing a hundred times, and then all of a sudden an angel shows up, and it's like, ah, oh, I feel troubled. And um, it's probably a little bit more than that. So, so, so fear fell upon him. Uh, but the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So I just... Let me just take, just pause right here. So, Zechariah and Elizabeth have been asking for a son or for a child and had, never, had not been given. They've been praying. You've been, I don't know, you ever been in that place where you're praying your guts out for something? You believe it's of the Lord, uh, but it just hasn't happened. And maybe your faith or belief has grown a little cold. This is where we're at. So Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this is, by the way, he's literally quoting Malachi. Remember that 400-year gap? He's literally, the last thing the Lord spoke, the angel saying, Here's, he's, exa- he's doing exactly what he said he would do. It's been a long time, but he's doing exactly what he said he would do. And, of course, I love the response. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years, meaning we're past childbearing age. Now, I love this, because if you are ready to argue with an angel, all right, you are down in the dumps. I'm just, I'm gonna be honest with you. If an angel showed up in your house and said, hey, this thing is, I mean, angel showed up, this thing is going to happen, and you're like, yeah, but I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't really see how this could happen. I love, I love his response. That's what happens. If you're ready to, to argue with an angel, it means your heart is a little bit cold. You used to have some hope. You used to have some fire inside of you. You used to have like big time hopes and promises of what God wanted to do in your life, but you don't feel anything. You kind of feel empty inside. And you kind of feel like if an angel shows up, you'd be like, awesome, Right? That would be awesome, God, do that thing. But really, he's saying, listen, how how on earth are you going to do that? In this case, he's been praying for a child for 40 or 50 years and nothing. Nada. Zip. Zilch. Nothing is panned out. And this is what we often do. And I want you to stop. I want you to take hold of this. When what we have put our hope and when we put our hope and trust in God and we don't see things begin to take place or shift or happen, right, this is what we do is we self-protect and we, we, we build up walls and we, so that when the time for fulfillment comes, when God's ready to move, what we often find ourselves in is a place where we've got our, our hands up for just a minute. We put up walls and we put up barriers and our heart of flesh goes to a heart of stone. We're just saying, listen, I don't know. I don't know about that. 
that God has these promises for our lives, and what we tend to say is, listen, whatever goodness you've promised, it just doesn't seem like it's for me. Or we often will say, listen, I don't know that I've lived a life worthy enough to get those promises, or maybe we've thought it's too late for me, or I don't know how this could happen in any way, form, or fashion, because it doesn't seem like that, what I'm put my hope in you has, uh, and my trust in you. I don't see how it could take place. Maybe I haven't, don't feel like I've done enough to receive your goodness. You ever been in that place where you want to believe and trust in the promises of God, but you feel like you've not been good enough to, to deserve it? You ever been in that place? This is where he's at, right? There's a measure of coldness over his heart, and he asks the question. So the angel answers him back. Look at verse 19. It says, I'm Gabriel. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple, meaning why does it take you so long to burn the incense? And he came out, and he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So I want you just to, if you'll just capture this. There's a promise from the Lord, but we don't see it happening. And often when we don't see God moving in the way that we're asking him to move or the way that we believe that he said he would move or the ways that we see God declaring he will move, the promises that he makes to us in the scripture, we don't see it happening in our lives. And what happens is, is we become a little bit calloused and hardened and we struggle to believe. We struggle to believe that God's actually going to come through. It's not happening in the timing that we want. This is exactly what's going on with Zechariah. He's going, dude, we've been praying for this for a long time. We're beyond having the kiddos years. And he's saying, I don't see how anything like this could actually take place. And he's come before the, and so he gets a, a guarantee and a promise. And he says, listen, I don't know how this is going to happen. And what we find is that he's stuck in that place. We all found ourselves time and time again. Can I really believe God at his word? Are the promises that God declares in his word really true for me? What is it that God is working in? If I don't see it in the timing that I would like to see it, then what is it that God is up to? And I love what the Lord does here. He's so faithful and so kind, right? I think actually this, if, you just, if you're asking me, I know it sounds like it would probably be horrible. 
But I think that, I think this is the kindness of God to do this. Hey, Zechariah, you aren't going to say anything until this thing comes true. I, I don't know about you, but I just think it would be the goodness of God to shut our mouths sometimes. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to tell you why. Because the greatest enemy to trusting in the promises of God are the complaints of the enemy, the murmuring, because God's not doing what I want him to do in the timing that I want him to do it in the way that I want him to show up. Love for God to do so many things. We see so many powerful promises to us in scripture, promises to deliver us from sin and we feel like we're, yet we continue to struggle over and over. Promises to bring restoration and reconciliation, and yet we don't see it taking place in our time. We have all these things in front of us, and it's not happening. And I think that one of the greatest enemies to the work of God actually manifesting in us is because when we open our mouths and we begin to murmur, if you will, against the Lord, to fuss and to complain. And I think it was the mercy and the kindness of God to say, Hey, Zechariah, I'm going to do you a favor. Shut up. Trust me. I'm coming through for you. I'm going to come through for you. I want to close your mouth so that you see this thing. And so here's what, here's what God's really doing, right? God's taking Zechariah on a journey. And this is what he's doing with every one of us. Every one of us is on a journey of discovery of the promises of God. That's what he's doing. And this is what he's doing here. And so the question is, is while we're waiting for the promises of God to come through, how do we trust in him on that road when it's painful and difficult and slow? That's the question, right? How do we hold on to God's promises when the road that we're on is difficult I love what the word says. I love that I, I, I highlighted two scriptures. I want you to see Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Psalm 18. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Now, I'm just going to highlight a couple of things. And I'm going to pray, and, then, and, uh, and we're going to finish out here. I want you to see something. In fact, if you would throw that scripture back up on the screen just so you can see it. Here's what he's going to say. First and foremost, God wants you to know this. God has promises for every one of us. They are ironclad they are in the scripture. Every person in here has innumerable promises in God. And what this writer of Proverbs and the psalmist here wants to say is, listen, the word of God proves true. It's trustworthy. And the beckoning to us is, even if we can't see it coming to fruition, do we believe that his word is true? That's the question. In a season where we're dealing with the issue uh, all the time of belief. And in the beginning of the Christmas story, in 
the coming of the promised king, the issue comes down to, do we believe that the word of the Lord proves true? Because this is where it begins. This is where it starts. The word of God is true. And then here's what he says. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Here's what he's saying. What we often do when we don't see the word, when we don't see the promise coming to fruition in our lives is we try to self-protect. As again, we build up those walls and we go, I'm I'm gonna just try to put a little guard around my heart because I'm disappointed things aren't happening. And here's what God's saying is, you don't have to be the guard. I'm the guard. I'm the refuge. I'm the one that you come to. Saying this, listen, you make a bad refuge for yourself. The idea that we have to put up the wall and we have to suspend belief or faith or trust in God, he's saying, listen, you gotta actually do the opposite. Every word of the Lord proves true. Therefore, find your hidden life in him. Go find him. Let him be your covering. Let him be the answer, the guard to your heart. All right, what is a refuge, right? It's a safe place. God is the safe place. Here's what he's saying, because I love the word here. A safe place, refuge from attack, from war, from opposition, It's the exact opposite thing that we want to do. What we tend to do is putting up walls. What he's saying is pull the walls down. Let me be your guard. Let me be the answer to the cry of your life. And here's here's the, the critical words here are two words. Look at it. In him. He is a shield for all those who take refuge. In him. In him. What this means is simply that this thing goes well beyond, listen, this thing goes well beyond what we can read. It goes well beyond how we feel. It goes well beyond our emotions. What God is saying is you find your protection life in him. That the shield The safety is not in the circumstances. It's in him. He's the one. In fact, I think that what's implied here, and I think what we'll see throughout Scripture is this. There is a delight that we're meant to have in him, in who he is. In him. The picture I get, I guess I'll put it this way, is um, I love all my kiddos, and um, all the time, uh, I just uh, I like to do this thing where I'm like sitting on the couch and they're walking by unsuspecting, and then I just grab them just to try to scare them and then I hug them and kiss them, but just like a little bit of fright and then fun, but just a little bit like you know what I'm saying. So I like to just a little bit like I wasn't expecting that, and there was a little bit of freak out, and then they're laughing. And so I love, I love doing that. It's one, of, it's, it's one of my favorite things. And I do it all with all my kids. And, and I'm sure you know, Luke would really be upset with me. But he's 11 years old. He's about to be 12. He's like preteen. And I don't, I don't even care. 
I just grab him, and I just want, but I want my kids to know I love them. That's awesome. That's fun. Let me tell you what's 10,000 times better than when I unsuspectingly grab my kids and tickle them or ask for a hug or whatever is when they choose to come over, and I would say especially my daughters, they come over, and they'll just sit in my lap, and then they look at me with just like the best eyes of all time, and they look, and, and they just, and they say, I love you, Daddy, and then they hug me, all right? I didn't have to snatch them out of the clear blue, all right? They come to me, and w- when they do that, here, here's what I know, and here's what I like to say. When you talk about finding refuge in God. This isn't a God who um, unsuspectingly comes to snatch us out. This is, the call here is the one to crawl up in the lap with delight. We talk about finding our refuge in God. The answer is not like, I'm looking for God to protect me from all the bad stuff in life. What it means is, is I'm coming to crawl up in the lap of my Father and feel and know and live in his warmth over my life. The best way that I know how to put it, and what we'll see all throughout scripture is this. God is looking to draw our heart of trust out in faith, but it is not from a distance. It's as a father who holds us and walks with us. One who delights and seeing our smile and the delight that we have in him. Because the, the truth is this, whatever the promise is, listen, whatever the promise that God has over our lives, ultimately, he's the answer. There's lots of things that God wants to give to us. He wants to give righteousness to us and he wants to give power to us and he wants to give hope to us he wants to give joy to us these are all things that come from him because they are him and this is what the call of the Lord is is for us to delight that part of this journey of trusting in the promises of God in our lives is not just believing because we read it on a page, but because we've begun to delight in it. Because we've begun to seriously find true joy. We go from trusting to delighting. Can you, you understand that journey? I just want to make that clear, and then we're going to finish up here. This journey that we're on with the Lord to trust him moves beyond believing because my buddy declared all the goodness of God, he said, or the preacher or the pastor declared the greatness of God and all those things. We, I love hearing about the goodness of God, but God wants us to come into the experience of it ourselves. And that's where he's calling us into, this place where we go from trusting and believing because we see it on a page and beginning to delight in him. It's it's an entirely different thing. And that's what was welling up inside of Zechariah in that season where he's taking him, where he's silent and can't say anything, and God's downloading something into him. God was doing that new thing. If you look, you skip down to verse 57. 
Now uh, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives are called by this name. So that didn't even make sense to name him John. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So they're going, hey, Elizabeth's not thinking straight. Dad, what do you, we know you wanted to call him Zechariah. You're Zechariah. Of course you're going to call him Zechariah. That's what they did, right? And they're going, and he, and he, write, he writes on the tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came on all their neighbors. And all, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. I love, love, love. I love this picture here, because here's what God does. Instead of giving us, giving Zechariah the moment, the, the season to murmur or be frustrated, he closes his mouth, he begins to put his truth in his heart so that when it's time for him to open his lips, what, what, what Zechariah does, I'm sorry, what Zechariah does is he speaks truth. He speaks the truth. And in fact, your homework is this, is you've got to read verses 67 through 79 because it's one of the most powerful declarations of the gospel in all of scripture. And Zechariah is laying it out right there and he begins to declare the truth of God and, he's, and he begins to declare the promises of God again, not over his own life, but over the people around him, over the nation. And so here's what we're going to do over the next, uh, for, the, for the rest of the month, here's what we're going to do is we're going to study the promises of God. What are the promises of God for you? What are the promises that God has made to his people? What is he saying to you? What is he declaring over you? Are our ears, how do we incline our ears to listen to the promises of God? How do we make ourselves ready to receive the promise of God? How do we begin to walk in it? What are his promises and how do we walk in it? That's what we'll be studying together over the next several weeks. And if you've got friends that just need to be encouraged by the promises of God over their lives and bring them to be a part of this, I'm gonna pray for us and we're just gonna ask for God to do this in us over these next few weeks. God, we thank you right now that you're here. We thank you that you're speaking. And I just want to say, here in front of this church family, God, you have incredible promises from your word. You have so much that you give. In a season where we're thinking about gifts all the time, there's so much you have to offer. You have promises we want to go past believing about them to delighting in them and walking in it for our hearts to be lifted up. Lord, would you do that in this place? Would you allow us to walk in it? For these next few weeks, would you open our eyes to what you're saying that we might walk with you? And we could trust you in new ways and believe you in new ways. I believe, in fact, I just sense that some of you, the Lord wants to work in your heart with the issue of belief. Maybe you struggle. Maybe you're struggling to believe 
in God, believe, believing and trusting God with your life. And the Lord is going to, he has some things to say to you. Maybe there's something that you've been asking God for. Maybe there's a promise that you feel like the Lord has given you. And it feels like it's been forever. God, would you let hope arise? Not because of the circumstances around us, but just because we're going to delight in you. Thank you, God, for this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessing, guys. Love y'all. We'll see you next week.